Well, good morning, everybody. I am Stephen, the pastor here at Grace Church. I'm excited to continue on in our teaching series, The Power of Love, this morning. Uh, for several years of my life, I was a middle school youth pastor. And uh, as you could probably imagine, um, I have some very interesting memories that I will never forget. When your full-time job is working with 12 to 14-year-old teenagers, um, there's a lot of things that happened uh, that uh, that's a different breed of human right there, isn't it? Um, So uh, there were a lot of amens on that one. Uh, One of the interactions that I will never forget was I was mentoring a sixth-grade boy. This was in Texas. And... He, uh, he and I, I was just trying to get to know and break the ice, and he was a little bit timid, and so uh, I was letting him know, like, hey, I'm going on vacation this weekend, and it was a little beach town not far from us, and I know that he'd gone there with his family, so I say, hey, do you know any cool restaurants to eat at there? And he goes, yeah, um, there's a pretty good McDonald's down there <laughs> that you'll want to check out. <laughs> Of course, we laugh because only a middle school boy would be like, a good local cuisine. There's a place called McDonald's. They have this thing called the Big Mac. I don't know if you've heard of it. Right, we laugh at it because nobody like, no adult says, I'm a huge fan of McDonald's. It's not like a place we brag about and it's like, hey, if you've never been to the McDonald's in Bridgewater, you've got to try it. It's just unbelievable. (laughs) We don't do that, right? Because when we go to McDonald's, uh, unless you are a five-year-old that absolutely loves the Happy Meal, you go to McDonald's because it's convenient right? Because it's easy, because it's cheap, because it's quick, because you don't have to think about it. Like nobody plans ahead and says, this weekend, babe, let's do it. Let's do it, right? Like there's certain restaurants that like on Wednesday, I'm thinking, hey, where are we going to go out to eat this weekend? So like Crystal's Kitchen, Johnny Macaroni's, McDonald's would be good, right? We don't do that, right? Because McDonald's fast food, for the most part, is the kind of place you go out of convenience, right? You don't go there because it's the highest quality food, you don't go there because it's the healthiest option. You don't go there because it's the best option. You go there because it's the easiest option, right? And so I think that's, that's a concept um, that we drift towards in our lives that I think that we need to consider today as we jump into our teaching is how easy it is for us to drift towards what's most convenient and what's easiest over what's best for us, right? The steak is better, but it costs more money. It takes more time but the flavor's better, right? Uh, It's even healthier for us than McDonald's. And so as we're jumping into uh, our teaching today, we're going to look at what God has to say are the important elements in healthy relationships, whether you're dating, engaged, married, or even in friendships in your life. What are the healthy ingredients that go into a healthy, godly, holy relationship for us? But in order for us to really get there, I think we have to come face-to-face with the reality that most of us approach our relationships thinking what's easiest, what's most convenient for us, over what might take more work, what might take more investment, what might take more time, but ultimately what's healthiest for us, what's best for us, what's holiest for us. That takes more work. The steak takes more work, but it's better, right? So that's what we need to come into terms with. Last week, um, Pastor Sean began by looking at the power of attraction. And, and how attraction is a very interesting thing. It, and, and I think there's a lot of misnomers around it that our natural desires, our natural attractions, actually bring us further away from the person that God created us to be because of our sinful desires in, in all of us, right? Not just in that person that you can think of right now, but in you as well, that our natural desires actually pull us away from the person God 
created us to be. That's why self-control is such an important thing, that if we just act on what we naturally want, what we're naturally attracted to all the time, it's never going to lead to healthy relationships, right? That's why our attractions should not determine our actions. Our faith should determine our actions. And this week, as we continue on, we're going to look at healthy pursuit. What does it mean for you to pursue, whether it's a marriage, a dating relationship, or I would say even a friendship, what does it mean for you to pursue somebody in a godly way? And I just want to put this, uh, this disclaimer on it. What I'm going to look at are a few passages in the Bible of God's expectations for those who have chosen to follow him which I recognize is not necessarily everybody in the room. It's definitely not everybody uh, in your family and all of your friends and everybody that lives in your town. So these aren't like God's demands for all relationships and that our job is to storm in and say, you're doing it the ungodly way. That is not God's intention. God is saying, these are the expectations of those who have entered into a covenant with me. Okay, so I want to say that because if you are here and you're exploring your faith, Um, then what you're going to hear is what God's expectations for you would be if you wanted to have godly, healthy relationships. Um, I will say, whether you believe in God or not, whether you choose to follow Jesus or not, I absolutely believe applying these principles to the relationships in your life, regardless of your faith, will lead to health, will lead to healthy relationships. So I think there's something in here for all of us. So what is the godly way to pursue somebody? Well, godly pursuit... Um, just to define it, is, is intentionally, that's a key word, intentionally prioritizing someone in your life. It takes intentionality, that we have to work towards healthy relationships. They don't just come naturally, that it takes work. We all know that, right? That, that, that's, a, that's an obvious one, that our, our default is laziness. Our default is McDonald's. It's selfishness, it's convenience, it's, it's what's the easiest way that meets my needs, right? That's why we have more fast food wrappers in our car than we want to admit, because it's easy, it's lazy, it's quick. But health takes work, takes intentionality, takes investment. So what we're going to look at are the specific aspects that make up godly pursuit. And this is an interesting conversation for this reason, because I think we often make assumptions that everyone needs to be in a relationship, Right? Isn't that kind of the bend of the culture that we live in? Everyone needs to find their soulmate, needs to find the person they want to be in. There's game shows, there's dating shows about it. The assumption is you need to get married and find that person. It's just not true. Now, I will say this. Relationships are a gift from God. Relationships are an opportunity to reflect God, but they are not required by God in order to be holy. You don't need a dating relationship or a marriage in order to be made complete in God's image at all. So I want to start there because that's actually where the Apostle Paul starts. When he starts talking about marriage, before he even jumps into marriage, here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7. He says this, I wish everyone were single just as I am. Quiet in the room. <laughs> Paul was single and he was totally content with it. Like he, Paul was not a guy that was going to create a Tinder account. He wasn't on Match.com. Like, he was totally fine with being single his entire life. And here's what he says. Each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. Now, what an interesting way to start a conversation about relationships, right? This is the same guy that actually ends up writing the passages we're going to look at later about the beauty of a godly marriage, the beauty of godly relationships, that he shares how beautiful a godly relationship can be. He actually begins the conversation by saying, yeah, but if you can stay single, that's awesome. 
That's a really good thing to do. For those of you that are single, don't feel incomplete. And that's really important. Whether you're single by circumstance or by choice, it's important that you know that you are already God's masterpiece, that you don't need another person to be made whole, that you don't need another person to be recognized as a complete person. That's not true. Now, that's what society will tell us. That's what Hollywood will tell us. But biblically, there is great value in being single. In fact, I would say some of the most committed Christ followers that I know are people that are single. Again, either by choice or by circumstance. That church that I was a youth pastor at with the kid, with McDonald's kid, uh, the most committed volunteer I've ever met in student ministry was a single guy who by the time I came in, he's 50 years old, and he'd committed his life to being single. Now, part of it is he probably just couldn't find somebody to marry him, but eventually he got to the place where he's like, I'm single for life, right? So he, he became from single for a reason to single like, for permanent, right? So, but he, he had the capacity and the energy to do so much with teenagers. It was awesome. He was the one that planned like the lock-ins that our youth groups would have. He planned a yearly seventh grade Six Flags trip that we would take that quite, quite frankly, the married volunteers in our church, like you get to the weekend, you're tired, you want to spend time with family. There's nothing wrong with that at all, that it takes energy in marriage. It takes energy to raise a family that if you're single, the value that Paul is saying here is all that energy can be put towards helping other people. So we need to do a better job of celebrating the benefits of singleness because there's a clear spiritual advantage to it. See, I think a lot of people, they kind of think of their life as pre, like I'm pre-married, and so I'm just not there yet. Or they think of their, or even if you're married, so the language that we use is you need to have kids, so you're pre-kids. You haven't started a family yet. If you're married, you started a family when you made a vow to one another. You're a family of two. We don't need to have something else in our life to be made complete, that God's already made you his masterpiece. So you have to disregard what the bachelor says. And you have to see that the Bible says something so much more beautiful here. Paul was single. Was he incomplete? No. Jesus was single. Was he incomplete? No. So we're starting the conversation there, not to make all of you that are married feel bad, but to help us understand and balance this conversation, that there's a lot of people that are single, that's not a bad thing. So let's stop acting like it is. Is that fair to say? So I go on in the conversation. Uh, I just want to ask, if you are single, the question that Paul would, would kind of ask you to consider is this, are you able to be holy and single? If so, then be content with where you are at. He goes on. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. But for those who are married, I have a command that comes not from me but from the Lord. A wife must not leave her husband. Why? Because God loves unity and God hates division. That's a theme throughout the entire Bible. God loves unity and he hates division. He loves unity in your families. He loves unity in your relationships. He loves unity in the church and he hates division. But if she does not leave him, or if she does leave him, let her remain single or else be reconciled to him. And the husband must not leave his wife. That's God's expectations for those who have chosen to follow Jesus. Why? Because God does not want your relationships to be broken. Because God doesn't want to see them broken and and stay divided forever. He wants to see restoration. That brings glory to God. He wants to see mending. He wants to see healing. He wants to see forgiveness. He wants to see individuals work through pain and find resolve. That's what God wants for your life. Now, obviously, that takes two people. 
So, so Paul recognizes that, and he shares a little bit more about that in just a minute. But God's desire for you is for all of the relationships in your life, that you're able to find restoration, that you're able to find healing, that you do whatever you can to seek out restoration and unity, because that brings more glory to God, that God always sets higher expectations for those who have chosen to follow him. See, most of the world doesn't want to dig in and fight through the pain, right? Like most of the world, it's, we're quick to give up when things get hard. Or we get into a really big argument and we just scale back and we write that person off. In fact, I, my generation's huge on cancel culture right now. One thing that they don't like and you're done. That is not from God. Like God sets a higher expectation. He says, I'm actually asking you to fight through the pain. I'm asking you to work through conflict. I'm asking you to dig in and when you need to confront, confront. Because that brings unity. And unity brings me glory. That's what God is saying here. That's what's most holy. So maybe a good question for us to just pause and ask here is, who do I need to reconcile with right now? I'm just going to stay there for a moment because I'm sure a name pops into your head. Probably didn't take long. It's probably somebody you don't want to talk to. It's probably somebody you've been avoiding. It's probably somebody that brings a lot of negative emotion. But your effort to reconcile brings glory to God, even if it's not reciprocated, by the way. Paul goes on, he says this, now I'll speak to the rest of you. Though I don't have a direct command from the Lord. So what Paul's about to say, he's like, this isn't a biblical commandment, this is just wise counsel. So you can do whatever you want, or you can do the wise thing. That's what Paul's saying here. If a fellow believer has a wife who's not a believer, and she's willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. And if a believing woman has a husband who's not a believer, and he's willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. Again, why? Unity. That's what God wants, unity. For the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage, and the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. By the way, what you're seeing here is God has, takes marriage way more seriously than our culture does, right? It's not just an in and out thing. He really, when, when we make that covenant towards one another, he takes us at our word. Like, he really does take it seriously. And, and there's a reason for that that we're going to get to in just a minute. Otherwise, your children would not be holy, but now they are holy. Verse 15, but if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. He's saying that if you're married to someone that, that isn't choosing to follow Jesus and has no desire to and has no desire to reconcile in your relationship, you do have freedom to step back from that. That's what it's saying. God doesn't want you to be a slave to somebody who is actively against your relationship with God and doesn't want to change. Don't you wives realize your husbands might be saved because of you? Don't you husbands realize your wives might be saved because of you? So what Paul's saying is it's not a sin to leave your unbelieving spouse, but it's also not wise. It's the holiness versus the convenience thing. It'd be more convenient to get out of a relationship with someone who doesn't believe the same thing, but your spouse's life could be changed because of your influence. And Paul is saying that God's desires for healthy, strong relationships that stay together because that's what's holy. It's harder, but it's holier. And so that's the choice we have to make. Regardless of where you're at in your relationship, which phase you're at, this plays out. If you're dating, it's more convenient to choose to move in together before you get married, but that's not what's holier because you're acting on a covenant that you haven't made to one another. You're acting as a married couple even though you're not. It's more convenient to not abstain from the sexual desires that you have and instead just start sleeping together before you get married. That's more convenient. That's easier. That feels better. But is that what's best? No. Because God's desire is that intimacy takes place under the context of a covenant relationship with him. Some of you are on the other end of that with marriage, that you're thinking about getting out. 
and you're frustrated and you feel divided. In fact, I recognize there's some people that are here and your spouse isn't here. It's a hard conversation. And I'm sensitive to that. And I think what you need to battle with is what is best from God's perspective, not just what's best for you. I know it's hard. I'm not trying to oversimplify it. I'm just trying to share what Paul's saying. So you're either pursuing what's most convenient or what's most holy. And as a follower of Jesus, we choose to put holiness before convenience. So what are the ingredients for healthy, godly pursuit? Because there's a lot of hope in this. This isn't just do the hard thing because that's what God wants. There's a lot of hope in this. First is this, that godly pursuit has biblical boundaries. Godly pursuit has biblical boundaries. And that sounds obvious, but think through this with me. That godly pursuit has boundaries in your life, in your relationships, even in your friendships that allow you to pursue holiness over happiness. That there's almost like there's fences to stay in bounds and stay healthy. It's like a a baseball player has the warning track before the wall. You guys know what I'm saying? So that if they're chasing after a ball, they hit the track, they know what? They're about to hit the wall. It's not like that track is there, the baseball player is like, I feel held back. I feel restrained by this track right here. It's not there to hold them back. It's there to help them. It's there to warn them, hey, you're about to smack into a wall. That's what biblical boundaries are for. A lot of times we look at boundaries as a restriction that hold us back. A lot of people don't want to follow Jesus because it's like, it's just a bunch of things I'm not supposed to do. No. It's a bunch of guidelines and expectations that God has because he wants you to be healthy. And he knows that if there's no guidelines, if there's no boundaries, if, if, there's, if there's no expectations for your life, we don't drift towards health. With your kids, if they had no guidelines, no expectations, would they naturally eat healthy food and have healthy patterns? No. That's what God puts us in place for. Biblical boundaries that I'm about to read are from God to protect us and help us to stay healthy and godly. And these boundaries are especially important when we understand why God created marriage and romantic love in the first place. So we're going to look at a passage that some of you may have heard at weddings, or we've taught on this usually about once a year, Ephesians chapter 5, that is so important that we get as followers of Jesus. Because this is why God created marriage in the first place. This is, this is uh, the, the purpose behind it. Here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 21. Some of you are going to cringe at this first word. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now that word gets a bad rap today because we think of it as control, authority. You don't have a voice anymore. You're suppressed. That's not actually submit. The closer translation would almost mean yield to. Like yield to the other person's desires and needs. That a healthy relationship is one where both people are actually trying to outserve the other. That's what submission looks like. It's not about control. It's about humility. For wives, this means submit to your husband as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. You're going to see a lot of symbolism here in just a moment. It's Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of his body, the church. So why submit, ladies? This is the posture every Christian should have in all relationships, is God calls all of us to humility, to submission. So wouldn't it make sense that he would expect it even more in marriage, in a covenant relationship that we have? So listen to this, verse 24, as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husband in everything. 
So here's what we're getting here. This is the same guy, Paul, who wrote this, who wrote, it's great to be single, but marriage is great too. And you know why? Because it's, it's a symbolic picture of God's love towards the church, that a healthy relationship, a holy relationship is an accurate picture of God's love for the church and the church's love for God. It's all symbolic, that marriage is actually a metaphor. It's not really about love. Love is what we feel, but a healthy, biblical, godly marriage is actually meant to be a metaphor. Paul unpacks us a little bit more, verse 25. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. So the reason, husbands, why it's so important that you love well, that you submit well, that you serve your wife well, is so that it's a reflection of what the marriage that God created for it to be is. So that it's a reflection of the same kind of love that God has for the church, the bride of Christ. Verse 26, to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Are you guys keeping up? This is very poetic here. It's so important though. Here's what he says. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Okay, are you seeing the symbolism when he says she? He's saying the bride in a relationship, the woman is a reflection of the bride of Christ, which is the church. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. Why? Because he's a part of the bride of Christ, the church, and he's symbolically showing love, and he's reflecting that to the world. So husbands, God calls you to reflect Christ's love in your marriage, and the way you treat your bride should reflect the same kind of love God has for all of us. See, it's all symbolic. That's the beauty of it. God created marriage before we were ever born, and so he's defining for us what it's intended to look like, that it's a beautiful picture. The romantic part, the feelings, those are all a gift from God, but they're under this meaning, this symbolic image that God has of what the church is. That husbands, when you love your wives well, you're actually you're showing to the world what it looks like for God to love the church. And so, so putting her first, spoiling her, pampering her, those are important. Don't make your whole family's pattern around you because you might be the one who has the busier schedule. That's not submitting. Submitting means that that you're actually putting their desires first. You're serving them first. And then wives, God calls you to reflect the church's love, which is the bride of Christ, to your husband in the same way that God wants the church to love him back. So when you do that, wives... You're reflecting to the world what God's hope and desire is for the kind of love the church, the body of Christ, shows to God. That's, what, that's actually what is being reflected when a wife loves her husband the way that God intends in the context of a healthy relationship. So what does that mean? That means being respectful towards your, your husband. It means honoring him, encouraging him. It means that when he's not in the room, you don't gossip about all the things that you wish were different right? It means that, that you, you truly love him, like how the church loves God. That if my relationship with God was one that I'm always talking about how mad I am at him, and how frustrated I am at him, and how disappointed I am, and how I, I, diff, I wish he was different, that wouldn't really be a healthy love that I have towards God. So the way you speak of your husband should reflect the way that a healthy Christian should speak of God. Not because your husband is God, trust me, he's not. It's just a reflection, right? Right? Are you guys tracking this? 
What this means is this. Marriage and sex are, are so, so much more. They mean so much more than love. They are a metaphor for God's love for us, that God created love, he created marriage, and he created sex for very specific reasons. They aren't only gifts that he gives us. They're more importantly meant to be a reflection, that God wants you to have holy relationships so that they will reflect an accurate picture of God's love for the church. Now, here's where it gets tense. We ready? Most relationships are painting a distorted view of God's love. They're not doing this, right? Heterosexual and homosexual, any kind of relationship, most of them are painting a distorted view of love. So two people who are choosing to engage in intercourse and sex together before getting married are giving a tainted view of God's love because it's, they're engaged in a relationship without a covenant where they can get out whenever they want. There's no commitment. There's no promise. Whereas the whole essence of following God is it's a covenant. It's a promise. I'm all in. It's not, I'll do it sometimes, but I'm going to pull out whenever I want. No, that's not what the loving relationship God wants us to have. So two people that are sleeping together without the covenant relationship is a distorted view of God's love. If you have a married couple and the husband decides to cheat on his spouse with another person, that would be a distorted picture of God's love. Why? Because him, as a reflection of God's love, it would mean he's choosing his own sinful desires over the church. That's a distorted view of God's love. If a wife decides to cheat on her husband with another person, that's a distorted view of God's love. Why? Because it's actually reflecting a picture of the church being self-indulgent and choosing its own sinful desires and what it wants before God. Two men deciding to be in a relationship together and sleeping together would be a distorted view of God's love. Why? Because it would be God choosing to love himself before loving the church. Two women loving one another would be a distorted view of God's love. Why? Because it would be the bride of Christ choosing to love itself, the bride of Christ, Christ instead of loving God. So if we really want to have godly, healthy relationships, it can only happen if you marry somebody from the opposite sex and choose to only be intimate with them. Anything other than that gives a distorted view of God's love. So it cannot fulfill the symbol that marriage and love were created by God to represent. Now, legally, yeah, you can do whatever you want. But from a biblical perspective, again, God's expectations are higher. Does this make sense? It's really important. And if you want to throw tomatoes at me, don't. Throw them at God. He's the one that created this. I'm just communicating this to you. God loves marriage. He created it. Without God, there's no marriage. Somebody would have come up with an idea like it eventually. But God's the one that created this beautiful institution for very specific reasons. And if we really want to have healthy, godly relationships, if we really want to reflect the marriage that God has for us, we have to listen to what God's word has to say about it. So take some time to consider the purpose of love and marriage as created by God. That's why biblical boundaries are essential. What boundaries do you need to put in place in your relationships, even in your friendships, to maintain a godly relationship? It's going to be specific to you, but their boundaries should lead towards biblical health. There should be fences. Continuing on with what's a really important aspect of the church, 2 Corinthians 6.14. A lot of people, a lot of Christians get this wrong. Um, unintentionally, they just don't know this is here. Here's what it says, 2 Corinthians 6.14. 
don't team up with those who are unbelievers. And this is talking about a dating and a marital relationship. It's not saying don't be friends with those who don't trust in God. It's saying don't team up. Don't team up with. Don't enter into an intimate relationship with an unbeliever, with, some, with somebody who doesn't trust in God like you, like, like you do. Why? Because how can righteousness be a partner with, with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? Now, here's, here's the heart of what Paul's saying here, is godly pursuit has, has shared values, that if you want to have a godly pursuit that leads to a godly relationship, it starts that you have shared values with the other person. And Paul is showing the importance of having a shared faith with someone that you're pursuing, because if your faith is really important to you, that needs to be a major element in your relationship as well. It's really important. And the things you value most in life should be shared with your spouse. It doesn't mean if you're a Pats fan, your spouse has to be a huge Pats fan, because I value that more than anything. It's not talking about that. That's not a value of yours. That's just something that you like. A value are the things that really mean a lot to you. Like, God has wired you a specific way. So as a Christian, I knew when I was looking for a spouse, there's no way that I would try to enter into a relationship, a dating and a marital relationship, with somebody that didn't share my faith. Because it, it changes everything I view about the world. It changes the way I view money. It changes the way I view life decisions. It changes the way that I want to raise my kids. It changes the way I spend my time. And so when I met Katie and we both shared that faith together, we knew that that was a shared value, but there's others even in addition to that. Like another big one to me is, to me, it's really important that my family is able to socialize and interact with all different kinds of people from all different kinds of places. So a wide worldview is something really important to me, that I'm not intimidated by people that are different than me. And I married a woman who's, who's even more so that way, that she's, she'd lived in two other countries before we ever got married, that we just love the world, we love different cultures, we love interacting with different kinds of people. So like I would have been bored and it would have been wrong for me to marry somebody who just wants the same bowl of spaghetti from the same Italian restaurant every Friday night. Like I need new experiences and new adventures. That's, that's what Katie, Katie and I both value that together. So when Paul says, how can light live with darkness? Here's what he's saying. This might be different for you. This is something you have to consider. What are those values for you? He's saying, how can a passionate Christ or how can a passionate Christian live with someone who doesn't trust God? If you're passionate about politics, how can a passionate Democrat live with a passionate Republican? It can happen, but you're basically entering into political debates the rest of your life, right? How, if you're passionate about health, how can a passionate carnivore, like your value might just be I like to eat burgers, live with a vegan? I'm not saying one's right and one's wrong. I'm just saying you are entering into arguments. One person saying, I love burgers. The other person saying, you're a murderer. <laughs> Not to belittle vegans. Actually, that's a really healthy lifestyle that I don't have the willpower to do. So my insecurity is causing me to put you down. <laughs> you have values. You have values that are really important to you. And they might be specific to you. And I would even go as far to say, if those are healthy values, that those are actually from God. That God has wired you that way, and it's important you pay attention to those. Because if you ignore those, then, then, then there's going to be friction in your relationship if the person that's sitting across from you that you want to marry doesn't share those with you. That's why Paul is saying Christians should be pursuing relationships with other Christians. Because they have agreed to the same covenant. They've agreed to the same expectations and values. Now, here's what a lot of people do. They do what I like to call flirt to convert. 
which is where somebody finds somebody that they want to date and they want to marry, and they check all the boxes, except they're not a Christian, or they're not really committed about their faith. They'll kind of come to church with me, but that's just so that I'll marry them. Pay, be careful. I'm just being honest. And some of you, you're in the room right now, so I know it's kind of awkward. <laughs> but I'm just going to listen, and I'm not trying to make light of this. I'm being serious right now. Because I, as a youth pastor, I saw it happen all the time. It's like, I think I love this guy. He's an atheist, but, you know, he'll get there. <laughs> I'm rounding up. I just bring him to camp. His life will be changed. You don't want to be constantly having to pull your spouse along. How can that be mutual submission? Now, there are exceptions. Some of you are in this room because when you got married, you didn't share the same faith as your spouse, and God used your spouse to bring you here. That's awesome. I'm just asking you to be cautious here because if you don't have shared values together, either you will stop valuing those things, you'll eventually share, share those same values, which is the least likely, or you'll stop valuing that person. So just be careful. And we're saying all of this to help you. We're not saying all this to say, here's the rules. Now go and live these out. In fact, Paul even says that in 1 Corinthians 7.32. He says, I'm saying all of this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you to serve the Lord best. That's the goal here, with as few distractions as possible. So when Paul's saying this, it's, it's for your benefit. He's not saying... It's for your happiness. He's saying it's for your holiness, for your health, for your, for your godliness. He's saying it's for your spiritual benefit, your spiritual development. If you really want to have a healthy relationship, here's the key factor. It begins with two people who are more concerned with growing closer to God than growing closer to each other. And that sounds ironic that you're like, we're both number two. But that's how it should be. That's a healthy relationship. Because if you flip-flop those, what you have inadvertently done is you've made that person an idol because you've put them before God. And you're putting more energy and passion and care into pursuing them than God. That's going to catch up to you. So a healthy relationship is two people who are saying, we're committed to each other, but first and foremost, we're committed to God. We want to do what he has for us. And if what he has for us is for us to be together and serving together and in marriage together, we want to do that because that's serving God and we get to share marriage with one another. The more you pursue God, the better partner you can become. It's not automatic, but it's the start. So the last ingredient to a healthy, holy pursuit is this. Godly pursuit has healthy rhythms. And for a lot of marriages, this is where the breakdown comes. This is what often keeps a good marriage from becoming a great marriage. Because there's a lot of people, there's a lot of Christians that have the biblical boundaries thing, and they have the shared values thing, and they still have a stale marriage. They still have a boring marriage. It's unfulfilling. It lacks intimacy. It lacks spiritual intimacy. It just feels dry. What they're missing is healthy rhythms. Healthy rhythms are what give the flavor to a beautiful, godly relationship and a godly marriage. An extraordinary, godly marriage comes from healthy relationships or from healthy rhythms together. There was a quote, I know I've shared it here a few times because I don't want you guys to forget it, but from Dr. Phil, the Reverend Dr. Phil. Uh, he said, this was several years ago, and I imagine this, this, this stat has actually just inflated. He said that in America... Uh, about one in two marriages end not in death, but in divorce. We know that. That's not a surprise, right? Um, about one in two. Don't make it. Don't make it to the finish line. But for those who choose to pray together at least once a week, and it's not talking about in here, 
saying if you have a healthy pattern of praying together, even just once a week, that number changes from one in two to one in 10,000. One in two to one in 10,000. What's the difference? Healthy rhythm. Healthy rhythm. You know what I love? I love having a wife that spontaneously texts me in the middle of the day to ask how she can pray for me. That's a beautiful thing. That's what you want to have. That's what God wants you to have. Not somebody you have to pull along or somebody that you hope one day shares the faith with you. Somebody that looks out for you, somebody that prays for you, somebody that serves you. And it goes both ways, gentlemen. You should be leading your family. You should be the most passionate about bringing your family here because you're the head. You lead by example. You let your kids say that their spiritual hero is their daddy and their mommy. That's what God wants. So here's a few questions that might help you to get started in developing some healthy rhythms together. Where we, when, like, when are we going to pray together? That's a great question to ask if you don't have it. Even if you've got a really close best friend that you'd call like an accountability partner, someone helping you grow in your faith, that's a great question to ask. Hey, when are we going to pray together? I have a best friend. He lives in Nashville, and he and I, once a month, we have a call together and we pray together. We just catch up and we pray together. That, that's awesome. We have that commitment to each other. What will you do to grow spiritually together? That's going to look different. There's a lot of different ways. Even being here is important. The fact that you guys are here, that's a huge step that you guys are taking. Last one, how are we going to recharge together each week? You know that rest and Sabbath are actually spiritual rhythms. Like that's not just something that like New York Times bestselling authors write books about. That's something that God created in chapter two of the Bible. It says he rested. He rested. God wants us to rest. And so one of the ways that we do that, that I encourage you to do that, is bookend periods of stress in your life with periods of rest. So if you know that you're going to have a stressful season, plan a vacation right after it. One of the things our family does, you can totally steal this and say it's your idea, is we have a Sabbath. Uh, That's not my idea, by the way, obviously. But what we do is a Sabbath kickoff, Friday at 4 p.m., and, and to make it like a hard Sabbath kickoff, our kids, like we get them all Oreos and we eat them together and we pray, God, for the next 24-hour period, we're not going to do laundry, we're not going to do dishes, we're just going to hang out, we're going to be lazy, we're going to do the fun stuff we want to do. I don't really answer a lot of texts, I don't check my email then, from Friday at 4 to Saturday at 4, if I've ignored you, that's why it's not personal. It's, that is our Sabbath, and our kids love it. They don't even really understand what it means yet. But they'll ask on like Tuesday, can we do a Sabbath kickoff because they just want to eat the Oreo? But one day they'll get it. That's our rhythm, because we know by Friday afternoon, Friday night, we're just so tired. We just need that day. So have a rhythm like that. That's one of our rhythms. God wants you to have healthy, thriving relationships. They take work to get there, so push beyond what's most convenient. Push beyond McDonald's to get to the stake, to find what's holy. What boundaries do you need to set in your current or, or even future relationships? What shared values are most important to you? and a significant other. If you're single and you want to be married, that's a really good thing for you to pause and think about. What are the things? Don't think of the list. I know some girls especially have like a list, 98 things my husband needs to be. Don't think of the list because once you find the right person that you want to be with, the list becomes a little bit irrelevant. Find the values. Find the the things that are really important to you that you know like uh, that's got to be there. What rhythms do you need to make in order to to become a, a better partner? And let me close by saying this. No one has a perfect marriage, right? Self-awareness here. No one has a perfect marriage. We know that. In fact, a lot of us, we hear a talk like this, and sometimes we get discouraged because our marriage isn't where we want it to be. That's okay. It's all about progress. 
So let's commit today, whether you're single and you're thinking more in friendships, you're single and you're thinking of future relationships, or you're married and you want to restore, you want to get better, you want to get stronger, let's commit to healthier relationships in our lives together. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful that you do have a lot to say about relationships because everything in life goes back to relationships and people. And if it was just on our own and we're trying to figure it out on our own, God, we would go the wrong way. We know that. So God, I thank you that you do have these biblical boundaries and guidelines and expectations because you're saying, hey, if you do this, your relationships are going to be vibrant and exciting and full of the Holy Spirit. That's what we want, God. Lord, if there's people in this room that aren't sure how they feel about you, I pray, I challenge them that they'll at least apply these principles to their relationships and just see what you do. God, for those in this room who have chosen to follow Jesus, I pray that you highlight in our relationships, our current or the future relationships that we aspire to have, God, that you help speak to us about the things we need to do differently. How can we become a better partner? How can we become a better spouse? What do we need to change? Where do we need to repent? Where do we need to repent? God, I pray we don't make this about what our spouse is doing wrong. We make this about what we need to do differently, where we need to confess, where we need to improve, where we can seek out holiness over convenience, God. I think everybody in this room could think of something pretty quickly. And God, I'm thankful for your grace that forgives us, that gives us mercy. And for those of us who have chosen to follow you, we know we're forgiven. And for those who haven't, I just pray that they ask that you forgive them. They turn from the sin in their life, the selfishness in their hearts, put you first. Say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to put you first, God. Thank you for second chances. Thank you for second chances in our lives and in our relationships. God, help us to get better at this. Help us. I pray we walk out of the room excited and hopeful because we know better days are ahead. We pray this in your name. Amen.